This morning, we welcome Gillian Davids. Uh, he is a lead elder, lead pastor of our Cape Town churches. Uh, Gillian and Vanessa, they also lead um, the West Coast congregation. Uh, Gillian, the way I describe him as someone who's been in ministry all the days of his life because he's a pastor's child. He started playing a guitar when he was six years old. And since then, he has trained and played with so many bands. And he's really a worshiper at heart. So above all the other gifts that he flows in, he is a worshiper at heart. Gillian and Vanessa, they have five children. They live in Tableview. Uh, three of those children, they were born from the womb. And two, they were born from the heart. Let's give Gillian a round of applause as he comes up for it. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Ah, Jesus is so good. He is my, my two favorite people in the world, David and Caroline. You've blessed us with amazing gifts. And uh, I will never forget that. And heaven will speak about it for eternity. Uh, I want to speak to you about a, a, a bit of a difficult subject. And, and uh, being prophetic as I am, some people say I am, uh, I, I love hearing God's voice. I live by it. I, every day, if I don't hear God's voice, something's missing. You know, it's like I haven't eaten. And you can see I like eating. Uh, and it's important to hear God's voice. But there are moments in my life where it seems like God has gone silent. And I want to talk about those moments today. So let's pray. Father, help us with your word today to receive it, to receive from it what we need. May it nourish us, may it bolts us, may it encourages us, may it challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so grateful for this leadership and, uh, and Pastor Simon and Lindy for inviting me to speak to you. Uh, I consider standing before God's people as a great honor, but also a great responsibility. And so uh, it, I don't take it lightly. After preaching for many years, I still get nervous. And I never want to lose that. Just the great honor of being before God's people, sharing the word. So... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous again this morning, but uh, that's a good thing. So, Father, speaks to us sometimes, and sometimes he goes quiet in us. How many of you have trusted God for breakthrough with a child, for healing, for a job or a career move, or an emotional hurt that needs to be, to be healed, a broken marriage or a stale marriage that needs life? Maybe salvation of a loved one, something you trust in God for. A career choice, or even just a spiritual breakthrough, and, and all you get from heaven is silence. It's as if you prayed these prayers, you fasted, you trusted God, and it's not like you can't hear God's voice, but in this particular aspect that you trust in God for, He doesn't seem to say anything else. I. I read about this story of a man in the Bible called Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader. Asaph was an amazing man of God who, who David chose to become his chief worship leader and songwriter. He wrote 12 psalms, and he was so gifted that he actually made his own instruments and played them very skillfully. Asaph is, 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 is the one that God used to, to put music to David's psalms. Most of them, actually. Even though David was a skillful musician himself, 
Asaph was at another level. So, he, so, so, he, so his job was to hear God for the nation and, and put that into song. But in chapter 83 of Psalms, this is what he says. Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O oh God. The man whose job is it to hear God's voice is unable to hear his voice. It's not a good place to be. And he cries that he writes a psalm, and it's not the only one he writes that sounds like this. How many of you have cried? I said, Lord, where are you? I know I've done what I can, but it seems like you're silent. The prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk was an amazing prophet. This is what he writes. Verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, God? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. And then he says, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. How many of you look at this nation and say, Lord, where are you? We've had prayer meetings and fast and prayer marches. Are you looking at the injustice, the perversion? Are you looking at this corruption, Lord? How long will you be silent about our nation? Not an easy one to, to preach on. We don't often talk about these things. And so we, we, we give these nice Christian words, and it's not deep enough to answer the deep cry of your heart. This is not right. Your cute little Christian quotes is not going to be enough to keep you the long haul. You need a deeper experience with God. You need something more than just a nice verse. Because people look at suffering and they're unable to find God. And if we don't have an answer, if we ourselves struggle with this issue, what hope do we have for those who do not know God? So God answers Habakkuk eventually in chapter 2, and it's not the answer he wants to hear. Not that one, just you can go back to the previous one. I'm not going to read it to you, but the answer is this. Habakkuk, I've heard you now. This is after 10 years, sorry, 7 years of struggling. I've heard you. Here's your answer. I'm going to cause the Babylonians to come and destroy the city. And your children is going to be killed, and your wives are going to be killed, and you're going to be taken to slavery. Not quite the answer he was expecting. This is the prophet who has to live under the weight of his own prophecy. I know it's going to get better. Don't worry. We're going to get to the good part. But I want us to be real about some of the challenges in our own lives 
that we have no explanation for, and we, we suddenly become disillusioned up underneath of all our Christian knees and lovely songs. There's a disillusionment that grows in our heart, and faith gets robbed from our spirits because we're not really honest about where we are. How about Sarah? Sarah gets this promise she's going to have a baby. This is Abram's wife, Sarah. 75 years old she is. Now that alone is going to take a miracle. And then she waits for another 10 years before God speaks to her again. And he's silent for 10 years. Now most of us will receive the angel like that in the prophecy. This is going to happen next month. God's spoken. And if God's spoken, it's settled. Our nice little cute phrases we use. You know, it's, it's settled in heaven, and, and, and let's get the, the, the cot ready. Let's get the, everything ready, because I'm going to have a baby. One year goes by, nothing. Two years goes by, nothing. I'm still believing God's going to give it. You know, it, it's going to happen. Three years goes by, nothing. Whoa. Okay. Let's trust again. You know what I'm talking about? Let's trust again. In fact, let's fast this time around. Let's see God's face right, really, and really work up, you know, some faith in our hearts, and let's make it happen. Because I know how to, how, how to twist God's arm. I know how to move heaven. I, I've been there. I, I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm living through stuff myself. As we're journeying with the Lord, and He goes silent with these things. And so... It's now six years and nothing has happened. She's looking at her husband who's older than she is. And that dude seems senile because he's just looking at the stars all the time. <laughs> trying to remind himself of the promises of God. <laughs> and then the angel comes back. It really is God. It's a theophany. Jesus showed up in, in, in a form of man. And he says to remember that promise I gave you? It's going to happen. She's so cynical, she loves, huh, I've heard that before. How many of you are there? I've heard that prophecy before. Thank you very much. I'm not putting my hopes up into this thing again. I've heard God's word. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll serve God and go to church and do all the nice things that Christians do, but to trust God at that level, just leave me alone. Thank you. So God had to breakthrough in her life again. Like it has to break through in your my life again. And great at faith. And now it's in spite of Sarah's faith. Because faith does please God, but God can be moved beyond your faith. And it's a, it's a, it's a precious thing when God does it in spite of you. When you can't say to your faith and your prayer, and your master, there's a vulnerability there with God that every Christian must experience. That's an abandonment, trusting God in spite of not knowing what's going to happen. That's a whole new level of trust. It's one thing to trust God for healing, and we see that healing develop, but when the healing doesn't come, and you still trust God, that's another level of faith. So, 
Something happens with Habakkuk between chapter 1 and chapter 3. And I want us to go to that next slide, please. I want you to know this. Nothing has shifted the word God was. Now he's, now he's having to live under an imminent threat and danger. The Babylonians on their way. And the Bible describes them as vicious. A vicious nation. But here's what he says. Though the fig tree does not blossom or bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the store, yet I will rejoice. Everybody says rejoice. There's nothing to rejoice about. There's nothing to rejoice about. You might be killed right now, Habakkuk. But even though there's scarcity, there's no retirement plan, there's nothing that's, that's in place, I will still rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in my Savior. Now, I don't know about you, but the struggle for joy in my life in the midst of adversities is a very real thing. And I, I barely hold on to peace, let alone joy. And so what happened to this man between chapter 1 and chapter two, chapter 3? I don't talk about that, that process that we, that we go through in the midst of it. I don't have much time because I know there's another service, so I'm going to try and get through this. Let me say this to you, Sarah. Try to help God speed up the process. And still today we experience the result of trying to do this in the flesh, pushing the issue. And Ishmael was born that started odds with Israel. That's the reality. And that's what we can do when we try to push this thing in the flesh. When we can't wait for that answer to come. The story is told of a, a young boy that's actually a true story. It couldn't even be any of your kids. He's on a long trip with his mother, four-hour trip with his mother. And, uh, and after about a half an hour, guess what the question is to the mother? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this happened uh, too many times for, for mother's patience to be, to be, to be intact. So she finally loses it. They says, she said to him, listen, we've got 90 more kilometers to get to where we need to be. I do not want you to hear the question, are we there yet? Do you get it? How many of you said that to your kids? I, I mean, I, I've got five of them. They all ask at different times, are you there yet? So he's silent for, for a little while, not longer. And he, and he finally musters up the courage to ask his mom, mom, when we get there, will I still be four years old? <laughs> Here's the principle. His mother had a concept of time and, and the space that it takes to get there. He didn't. We don't have a concept of eternity the way God has. And in the context of eternity, our little struggle that we're going through right now 
is a minute moment, just a moment in time. And that's why we can have hope because, and this is why atheists can't have hope, because in terms of eternity, ultimate justice will prevail. In terms of eternity, he does fix things. If not here, fix it then. That's the only hope sometimes we have to hold on. Really, yes. Sometimes in the sweet by and by it will be better. Sometimes that's, that's, that's how I can make sense of, of a friend who's been murdered. And the murderer gets off scot-free. If I don't have that hope, the sense of injustice will kill me, will destroy me. So how can you live without that knowledge? You guys with me? So our struggles, our t- our, what we're going through, and that's not the only answer. It's not the nice answer with a nice bow and ribbon on it. But it's the best we really have in moments like this. That I cannot make sense of it in this life, but ultimately it is a blip on the screen of my life. And from God's perspective, this is going to sorted out one way or another. hope that encourages you just knowing that He is there. So before I, I get to the last 10 minutes of my sermon, and we talk about the things that helps us in this, in this moment, we, we have to start from the right perspective. You know, you know the difference between a cat Christian and a dog Christian? A dog Christian says, God, you feed me. You provide for me. You love me. You take care of me. You must be God. A cat Christian says, you feed me. You love me. You provide for me. You take care of me. I must be God. That's, a, that's the difference between cats and dogs, Right? And, and it's an important point. I, I know that I said it in jest, but, but your understanding of your relationship with God and who you are, who's boss and who's not boss, who's Lord and who's not Lord, really affects the way, and he's tested in moments when he's silent, is to fix the way how you treat those moments, how you handle those moments. In those moments when you, when you say, listen, I don't understand, I don't agree, I don't feel good about this, but he happens to be God. And I can live with mystery. I can live with not understanding. I can live in a moment where where I can say, listen, he's, he's in control, he's sovereign, he knows what he's doing. And because I'm not God, I don't have to understand everything. But I'll pursue it nonetheless. That's a tough one because the whole point of us trying to be like God is to not to be like God apart from God. And that's the problem in the Garden of Eden. It's not that, that God didn't want him to see. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't the fact that God didn't want them to know what is good and evil. It's the fact that they get to decide what is good and evil. Who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? That's where humanism was born. 
and a script in our thinking in the church that unless I understand and I'm in control and I get it, that's not going to work. Living in mystery with God is one of the greatest sins of faith. Now let me move on to Philippians 1 verse 21. This is Paul saying this. He says, for, for to me... To live is, for, me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Paul's writing this, guys, when he's in prison. He's now been in prison for five years. And he says, for me, to, to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, is Christ. He's not sitting in a nice church like this when he's writing that. The man's been beaten. He's been falsely accused. And he's about to die a year later, they behead him. And he writes this, for me to live is Christ. Now most of us would have said, that's not God to be in prison. How can you put me in this position? It can't be God. But it's not really about you and me. It really isn't about our comforts as much as we think it is, or we think it should be. It's about honoring God. It's about for the cause that is so beyond, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us doesn't take care of us. He doesn't want to bless. Of course he wants to do all. What, what good father doesn't want to do that? But there's a, there's a bigger scheme of things that we need to tap into. And it's more than your comfort and you being in the right place and having the right car, having the right house, and having the beautiful family that you want. This is a strong word I know. And I'm hoping that you're not discouraged by it. The idea is to encourage you. So how do you walk with God? And how do you get over that moment of silence? Number one, do not say God is silent when your Bible is closed. Amen. And similarly, do not be, say God is silent if you're not praying. You've got to, you know, to pursue Him. Sometimes it's not that God is silent, it's just you're not having time for Him. Number two, confess all those sins. Sin interrupts the conversation and the clarity of God's voice in our lives. So deal with these things first before you get to a place of saying, God, you're silent. Sin is like static on a radio. And you can hear faintly sometimes, just between the stations there's something, but not enough to hear clearly. So deal with the stuff that causes static in your life. Amen? Oh me. His silence does not mean he's absent. And we're tempted to think that way. He's there. He says he'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Bank that. Save it in your, in, in your memory that God will never leave you. It sometimes feels like you're alone. But it seems like it, but it's not true. Why do I know that? Because he said it. Don't take any detours. When God is silent, stick to what he said to you last. What is the last thing he said to you? Stick to that. Don't make decisions that is not rooted in God's word for your life. You guys with me? I told the story earlier that, that uh, some time back I was traveling I was driving from Oatambo to Pochestrum, and not being a Josie guy, I was a little bit unfamiliar with the roads. 
So I, I put in my GPS, and, and I'm on the road to, to Poch. And some of you might know, it's quite a straight road. You don't, tra- you don't turn off anywhere. You just go. The only problem was this lady got silent. The GPS lady got silent on me. And now I'm wondering, am I still on the right road? The last thing I heard was about half an hour ago. So I did a detour by t- by on purpose just to get her to speak to me. <laughs> that detour cost me a lot of time. I nearly didn't make it for the meeting. Sometimes when, when God goes silent, we want to just take detours. Like Sarah, take a detour to get to, to, just to hear God again and to get to our destination. Stick with the last thing he said. What was the last instruction? Amen. Know that the teacher is always silent when a test is taken. It might be that you're on a test right now. And a test is not about telling the teacher how good you are. It's for you to see how much of this have you internalized? How much of the character of God do you really know? The nature of God do you really know? How much are you becoming more like Him? That's what it's about. And without tests, it's impossible to know that. Really know that. We really don't know it in the rara moments. We, do our, we are really tested in the difficult moments of our lives, and then we get to see who we really are. You know, I will never be a man of God who loves his wife unless I've been tested to fall in sexual sin. It's saying no to the test that proves who I am. There was a garden, in a garden, two trees that was put there, and that's for a purpose. Because you need to be able to say no until you really know who you are. How we deal with the test will tell us who we are. It's in those moments that our our, our life is number five or six, that is, I think. When God is silent, it doesn't mean he's inactive. He's either doing something for you or he's doing something in you. But he's not a passive God. And it feels sometimes, what are you doing, Lord? Are you really listening? Yes, he is. But you're in a test. And he's busy preparing stuff. In fact, the Bible says he's prepared the good works for us before, before the beginning of time, already for us to walk in. And the last point I want to raise is you've got to break the silence with worship. You've got to break the silence with worship. When God goes silent on you, what needs to come out of your Dark Christian heart. I'm a dark, dark, not cat, is worship. You know, when dogs, you know, I, I'm not a cat person, I, and, and you, you probably would have noticed this. And I bless all of you, a cat person, God will deliver you one day, but, uh, <laughs> but when, when, uh, when I come home, when I come home from the strip to this afternoon, my dogs will be waiting for me. And the tails will be wagging. I have no time with them. I, they, I've been silenced in their lives. But what I'll get is worship. 
that's what I get. And my goodness, how can you not respond to that? How can you not, how can it not warm your heart? Well, you, you, I mean, you've got to be weird. I, mean, I grew up in a community where dogs was used as security only. <laughs> I married a white woman and that changed everything. Okay, so. <laughs> you, in our house, dogs was not in the house outside. <laughs> yeah. The kind of names we called him was scary names. But a shift, everything shifts in my heart when that little tail waggle and gush, and that's what God feels like. Huh? Look at my child. This is what he said about, about Job. What he said about Job. Look at him, he's still worshiping. Look at him, he's not denying me. Look at him, he's still there. That's what I say about Abraham. I, I, I want to say to you, Jesus says, in this life, you will have trials. That's a given. He said, it's inevitable that these would come to us. And in the midst of a trial, it can feel like God is silent, but I want to assure you today, he's there. And if you don't stop worshiping, you will get through. Amen. It's for an appointed time. It will stop. But what is necessary for you is to see for yourself who you are in the midst of it. And it's important for you to see who you are in the midst of it. When there's no prophet to prophesy. And there's no worship team to do anything for you. This is you and God. Your faith before him. And you stand up and say, God, I will not forsake you. I will not let you go. Praise will be in my mouth. And I will come through what I'm going through. Amen.